0: Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Bankry Christian Fellowship Church. If we haven't met before, my name is Duncan. I have the privilege of serving as pastor here, and it's my privilege to welcome you to come and worship the Lord together. I think there probably are a lot of misconceptions about why people go to church, and some people think you need to be good enough to go to church or think maybe that even going to church is the kind of thing that makes us good, and certainly maybe make us good enough for God. Well, I can tell you that the reason why the members of this church come here Sunday by Sunday is because we are a needy bunch. We are in need. And it's because God calls us to come that we come. Friends, whoever you are, whatever it is that has led you to gather in this place today, this is not a gathering for people who have everything sorted out. It is a gathering for sinners, people who have no right to anything from God unless He shows us His grace. And that's what He has done for us in sending His Son, Jesus Christ, and that's what we come here to celebrate. And so today, God calls the weak, the heartbroken, the sick, the depressed, the joyful, the contented, those weighed down with anxiety or sin or guilt or shame or all of those things to come and to meet with Him and to find that He can and will meet your needs. Let me read some verses from one of the Psalms, uh, which invites us in to come and worship. It says, "'O sing to the Lord,' Psalm 96, "'O sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless His name. Tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations.'"
1: The reading this morning is Psalm 119, verses 89 to 104. Psalm 119, 89 to 104. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth, and it stands fast. By your appointment they stand this day, for all things are your servants. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I'll never forget your precepts, for by them you've given me life. I am yours. Save me, for I have sought your precepts. The wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding, therefore I hate every
0: false way. Thank you. Let me encourage you to follow along in those verses. They are printed for you in the the diary you received on the way in. Um, Every Sunday morning we do spend a significant time considering part of the Bible. Um, It is the part of the service that probably takes the most time to prepare. It's the one slot in our Sunday morning service that gets the most time. Um, And we, along with many other churches, have a conviction that that is the best thing we can do, that that is the most relevant thing we can do. And at the same time, that has never seemed like a weirder thing to say. Because we live in a society where, well, by and large, it has utterly lost any confidence in the Bible, and struggles to find any relevance in it whatsoever. And I suppose we could say the same thing about what Ruth has presented for us too, couldn't we? Why, why expend all that effort to get the Word of God to people? Because surely there's more important things that people need, isn't there? Well, Psalm 119 is for us today. It is the longest chapter in the Bible by a long way, and in fact, it's longer than some books of the Bible. And it has a lot to say about the Word of God. Um, It is made up of 22 stanzas, if you like, Um, and in each of those 22 stanzas there are a series of repeated words, and they are all different words for the Word of God. So, even in the verses that Helen read for us, what do we see there? God's Word is described as His Word, His law, His testimonies, His precepts, His statutes, His commandments, and you'd also see it's His rules, His promises. The writer of the psalm keeps coming back to the Scriptures, the written Word of God. And this psalm wasn't written because someone fancied writing uh, an essay on the doctrine of Scripture. Now, this psalm is one that is written in the midst of real life. It's not some abstract piece of writing. He speaks about his experiences in life, some of them sore, some of them traumatic, and how it is at every turn the Word of God that enables him to trust in God. And so you'll see, any time you start at verse 89, you're cutting into the middle of something. There's a lot already happened. And immediately before these verses, the psalmist has written things like this, "'How long must your servant endure? When will you judge those who persecute me? They've almost made an end of me on earth.'" He writes this psalm in desperate straits, crying out to God urgently, And yet it's in the midst of that that he's also been able to say, but I have not forsaken your precepts, your words. All your commandments are sure. And I suppose as the psalmist sits there in urgent need, placing his hope in the Word of God, you then ask, well, how's that going to work out for him? Is he going to be left looking like an idiot? trusting in the Bible to get him through his problems. Well, these verses that we've started into today give us some of what he found. And his message to us is that in the Word of God, you find a word you can trust. It's a word you can trust. Your words are your words. That doesn't sound like a terribly profound thing to say, but it is. Your words are yours. Sometimes we wish they weren't, don't we? Because there is an unbreakable relationship between you and your words. If you were to wrongly use your words and say wrong things about someone, you could end up in court. And a judge might ask you, are these your words? And if you said them, they are you speak your words, and they are, generally speaking, pretty good representatives of you. And that makes us upset sometimes, because angry words or spiteful words reveal angry and spiteful people. Loving, gentle words reveal loving, gentle people. And this connection between who you are and what your words are is something Jesus has something to say about. In Matthew 12, He says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. Your words are yours. You own them. And it's this sort of relationship between words and the person who speaks them that is even tighter when it comes to God, because God doesn't have the capacity to be deceitful. The Bible says it is impossible for God to lie, and so His words are always a true reflection of who He is. Well, this psalm kind of takes that logic to show us that a reliable word comes from a reliable God. A reliable word comes from a reliable word. So, look at the way, um, the bold way, I suppose, that our reading opens in verse 89. The psalmist writes, forever, O Lord, Your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Well, how can you be so sure, you would ask? Well, he says, because God has proved it, hasn't He? God's proved it by creating the world. The evidence is all around you. Verse 90, your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth, and it stands fast. By your appointment they stand this day, for all things are your servants. This is taking us all the way back to the first pages of the Bible, isn't it? Where God creates the world and everything in it. And In Genesis 1, it doesn't describe God as needing particularly skilled tools, not needing any heavy labor shipped in to do it for him. We're simply told that God spoke. So let there be light, he says, and there was light. Let the dry land appear, it says, and it was so. Psalm 33 says, He spoke, and it came to be, He commanded and it stood firm. Well, that same Word that spoke everything into creation comes to us in the written Word of God in the Bible. God's Word is reliable because He is reliable. Its power and its authority never wanes because His power and authority never wanes. God's Word is forever firmly fixed in the heavens, and God's Word still stands. And if all of creation is standing on the Word of God and is holding up, then you can be sure that you can build your life upon it too. And that becomes particularly precious when you see what God's Word has what, What God's word has done for this psalmist. He's got a story to tell. You see that in verse 92. He says, If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I am yours. Save me. If it hadn't been for God's word, then he would have perished. And he says the same thing, but stating it more positively, he says, if I hadn't delighted in Your Word, well, it's because I delighted in Your Word, You've given me life. God's reliable Word is a life-giving Word. I think it's always helpful to remember that the Psalms were written by people who knew God, and they were primarily written for people who knew God as well. And the big overarching theme for God's people as they sing these psalms is what the Bible calls God's covenant. That is, God had made a promise to His people, first to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, and then to King David, a promise that He would be their God, that He would establish them as His people, that there would never cease to be a descendant of David on the throne of Israel, And so often, particularly in David's Psalms, we find him in the midst of trouble and danger. But what is it that he clings on to? Well, it's God's Word, but that's not a vague thing. He clings on to God's promise. He looks around and he says, well, it looks like as far as my eyes can tell that I'm going to be undone here and the nation is going to be defeated, but God has promised that he would do something else, and so I'm going to trust that God's promise is true. He keeps holding on to God's Word, and God keeps coming through on His promise. And this is the confidence that we read of here in verse 94, when the the writer of this psalm says, I am yours. It is to say, God, you've made this commitment to me. You've made me yours. And so they can claim that before God. The psalmist here says that having God's Word was the difference between having life and perishing. That's the language he uses. That was was what made the difference. Having God's Word was the difference between life and death. And whatever the situation was that the writer of our psalm experienced, it is in miniature, in some crisis of life, it is a picture of a bigger principle that applies to all of us. If you were with us last week, we mentioned briefly that the prophet Amos warned God's people that when they were unfaithful to Him, God was going to send them a famine, but not a famine which was because of a drought or failed crops, but a famine of hearing the Word of God. And that tells you the kind of thing God's Word is. It's life-giving, it's life-sustaining. Not to have it is to be famished and to eventually shrivel up and die. The Gospel of John opens up by declaring that Jesus Christ is the Word of God, who is God, who was with God in the beginning, and who has become flesh. This Word has become flesh. He is the full revelation of God to us in human form. But this Word, this Jesus, just like in Psalm 119, it's not there simply to give us information. He's come to bring us life. Listen to Jesus' words in John 3 and see if you can detect any echoes with what we've just read. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. The psalmist said, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished, for by them you have given me life. You see, God has come to us in His Son, recognizing that naturally speaking, we're all heading for perishing. The psalmist says, the wicked lie in wait to destroy me, well, that same principle applies to all of us. Wickedness lies in wait to destroy, and it's not some wickedness that lies outside of us. It's something that resides in the heart of every one of us. i maybe going to borrow Ruth's, Ruth's teaching style here and say, you've got one minute to have a little look into your own heart, and you can uh, pop your hand up if you think I'm wrong. We look in there, and what do we find? We find that Actually, wrong thoughts, sinful thoughts, harmful thoughts, sinful desires all lurk in there even when we're doing the best thing we can possibly do, sitting in a worship service, listening to the Word of God being read, and what are the things that just creep out of our hearts? It's this sinfulness that that blocks our way from being in the position that the psalmist is in, to say, Lord, I am yours. We can't truly be God's, because we're not like Him. We have these hearts that turn us away from God, but the message of the Bible is that God has sent His Word, His Son, Jesus Christ. The message is that by delighting in Him, we might not perish but have eternal life. And He achieves that for us by living and dying and rising again in our place. If we were to distill down the message of the Bible, we could do it this way and say, well, you need Jesus. You need this Word who became flesh. Otherwise, you are simply at the mercy of wickedness that will cause us to perish. Jesus has come, lived a perfect life, and laid down a perfect life to death in the place of sinners like you and me, and He holds out that offer of salvation to anyone who will come to come and find life. This life-giving Word doesn't stop there because, well, how do we know about what Jesus has done? It was a long time ago. All the eyewitnesses are dead. Well, Jesus, the Word, is declared to us in God's written Word so that we might know Him. That's why we spend time reading God's Word together on a Sunday morning. And as was powerfully illustrated earlier in our service. If the words of Scripture had never come to us, we would never have known the first thing about Jesus Christ. If the promises of Christ had never echoed in our ears, then they would never have planted in our hearts. And this is God's pattern. This is how God has determined to do His mission in the world by proclaiming His Word, by His people proclaiming His Word. And as people hear that Word, they come to know the life-giving Word. Paul would put it like this in Romans, "'Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, but how will they call on Him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching?' It expresses, doesn't it, the urgency of the work and something of the urgency that we've heard that our partners, Wycliffe, are engaged in. This is why it is not foolish. It is not foolish to take a chunk of time to hear God's Word. It is not foolish to take 13 to 20 years to translate the Bible into another language. It is not foolish to give your money so that people can have the Word of God given to them, and it is not foolish, not foolish at all, to stand on the principle of Scripture that people need to hear this word. And this is what has been entrusted to the church, yes, even a small church like ours in Bankery, that we must engage in this mission locally, beyond locally, even globally. Just as I close, I want to make one specific application, and that is to say that, that we, we probably recognize as a church that the, the place of missions in the life of the church has not had the prominence that it should have in recent years and that 's something that we are um, convicted about and something we want to to change uh, We have a missions committee and um, that missions committee is meeting next sunday um, we 're going to have lunch and we 're going to talk about what mission is and talk through how we might better support and 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 talk about and 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 strengthen just this commitment to missions that we have in this church. And if you are here today and you think, you know, I have a real heart for that. I have a real heart to support the work of missions. Then you're very welcome to come and join us next Sunday. Um, you'll get a lunch out of it. It's a, it's a no-obligation attendance. We're going to talk about missions. And if that's you, then come. We need you on board so that we might be a church that takes seriously what God's entrusted to us to speak about the value of this work of reaching others with the gospel. Um, We're going to draw to a close there. Um, When we have this understanding of the Word of God, then it brings this kind of remarkable sweetness that the psalmist could speak about. Oh, how I love your law, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I bet you for most of us here we think, what is he talking about? He's talking about reading the Bible, right? How sweet it is to read your words. But it's because he has come to see these are words of life. These are words that draw us into the very heart of God as we are brought face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ, and the only way he gets there is what he puts in verse 97, it is my meditation all the day. I think so often many Christians even have little appetite for the Word of God because really they've tasted very little of it. Let me encourage you, especially if that's you today, go and read John's gospel like we've mentioned today, and just delight in who Jesus is. It will be like honey on your lips if you know Him. And if you don't know Him, let it be honey on your lips. Come to Jesus, a Savior even for you. Well, thank you for being with us this morning. Just to say if um, anyone has any questions or, or would like prayer, um, I'll be down at the front here after the service and be very happy to speak to you. Please do stay for tea and coffee afterwards. You'd be very welcome. And come back at six o'clock tonight. We're going to be looking at Second Timothy chapter three, um, where we can um, taste some more of the sweetness of God's Word.